Spring of Life Fellowship and its pastor Joaquin G. Molina invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Be a part of the vision, changing the world. With us to share your word, Lord. I pray that your spirit would minister to us, Lord, that we too might know, Father God, those things that are laid up for us in the heavenly places and that we too might be faithful witnesses of your life, burial, and resurrection to this world, O oh God. We pray, Father God, that you're, you fill us with the Spirit and teach us the way we should go, that we might represent you from, uh, in every expression of our life, Lord, that we not be counterfeit, that we would be counted as genuine and authentic witnesses of your reality to this world, Father. And I pray, Father God, that in every realm that you have us working and living and, and participating, that the real Jesus Christ would be manifest to this world, oh God. We pray that you would prosper your word in our hearts, in our lives, in our families, and that we would see the fruit of your glory, Lord. Bless our time together and prosper your word in our hearts and in our lives and all those that are watching, oh God. Prosper them as you continue to direct them into your perfect plan and purpose for their lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We already spent last week going over three of the initial verses of the first book of Acts. Uh, it was a powerful time. Uh, we, we discussed those three verses uh, and covered them. But we go on to the next aspect of this chapter. And the Bible says that on an occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them the mandate to go to Jerusalem and to wait. Now, we are all ready, and I know this is like, uh, we are all ready to do something for God, but without instruction. We're already fast-pressed to, to, uh, to get involved, but we're not good at waiting. The very first things that my mom told me as soon as I became a Christian is she says, you can tell a real Christian because he knows how to wait. He knows how to wait the timings of God. So right off the bat, as I became a Christian, I wanted to be a missionary, and they said, first, you have to go to law school. Well, that's nine years. That's a long time before you become a missionary. Don't you guys have another idea? And then after I finished law school, I was excited because I was done, and they said, I said, I want to go serve the Lord, and they said, no, you got to go work. So for 10 years, I spent working as an attorney. So nine and 10 is 19 years. And in all this period of waiting, God is producing a character and a platform, and he's working in my life. It's not like nothing is taking place. The Spirit of God is molding us. How many are waiting to get married? It's a lot of us waiting. I got, it's worth the wait. It's worth the timing that God tells you to wait. And it's the only thing that many times we don't know how to do. Uh, we're, we're fast pressed for somebody to tell us what to do and if they were to say just wait it's almost like they didn't answer your question now I didn't ask you if I'm to wait I'm asking you what I'm to do well to do is to wait and that is the very that is the very hallmark of faith uh, faith is waiting on God bringing to pass his purpose and so as we grow in faith, and I, I can tell you this, um, I've grown so much in faith that even 
as much as four months ago, I said, Lord, I know that there's a lot of things to do, but could we wait another 10 years? I'm 44, and I said, wait till I'm 54. Why? Because there's a lot of things I want to correct, I, I want to address in my life. So I've seen that what I was in a hurry to do when I was 21, now at 44, I'm saying, Lord, give me more time to develop. How many remember uh, Rex and Carolyn uh, Johnson who came here and for 12 years she was waiting for the restoration of her marriage? 12 years. And she was in a hurry to get the restoration and who was God waiting on her? I was waiting on her. She's like really quick, and the whole 12 years wasn't about her husband, wasn't about her husband's new wife, it was about her. God had to do a work in her life. So I want to encourage you, Christian, that waiting is a good thing. God is good to those who wait upon him. In fact, out in our foyer here at the church, we have a big poster in uh, Isaiah Chapter 40, verse 32, is that verse. It says, those that wait upon the Lord will mount up on the wings of an eagle. Uh, they will be strong. They will, they will fly and not get weary. They will walk and not faint. So waiting is a powerful thing. And I know a lot of Christians that wouldn't have liked that instruction there in, in verse 4. He says, do not leave Jerusalem. Stay at home base and wait for my Father to give you something that he's promised. So all these elements that we see here in the book of Acts is the same thing as the book of Genesis. In the book of Genesis, we see God creating all things and putting everything in order, and that's the same thing he's doing in the book of Acts. You need to ask God to put your life in order, and these principles that we're talking about are very key to the foundations of what you're going to build on. So waiting is not just a one-time scenario. You will grow in that measure. And then knowing the promises of God. Only a person that knows the promises of God could wait. How many say amen? He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above. Let's see this in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. This, this has to be one of your favorite verses in the whole Bible. Verse 20. Let me, uh, let me get that real quick. There it is. Now, to God, to God who is able to do, and I love this because this is going up, exceedingly, abundantly, above. In every realm of our life, when you're asking God for something, he's able to take it up a, a, a couple notches. He's able to do things that are going to leave you really impressed. So in that measure, we wait because he has promised to do amazing things in our lives. Wait for the Father has promised the things which you have heard me speak about. Um, it's really powerful. We go back to uh, verse 4 there. And it says, he's promised those things you've heard from me. Uh, verse 5. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. As I was gathering with men of God today in a conference call, they said at the end of the conference call, um, 
Pastor Joaquin, will you pray about what we have talked about? I'm, 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 as we go through this, I want to tell you that I do not believe that God would have us talking about anything that he's not going to perform. Right? God is not wasting time. He doesn't play religion. If he's talking to us about something, it is ours. And I'll, I'll just take it into a step a little bit further. The time I spent with Wellington Boone about two weeks ago, he says, Joaquin, everything God spoke came into existence. So the sad part about us is that we are trying to only speak what is in existence, and we don't have words of the power of creation. So our words usually, because we're not seeing anything, are negative and are not creating God's future for us and because we start speaking out of pride, out of fear, out of not knowing, we speak the wrong words. I want to encourage you that whatever you speak becomes your reality. And this is not the power of positive thinking. This is that God gives grace to the humble and resists the proud. And that's why in 1 Samuel chapter 2, Hannah says, stop speaking words that are based on pride. Stop uttering things that cause God to resist you. Because if you're proud, um, you're not going to get the favor of God. You're not going to get God showing up and revealing his purpose. So 1 Samuel chapter 2, this woman who wasn't being fruitful, who was sterile, who wasn't seeing the promises of God in her life, the very first thing she tells you when she finally is able to get on the same page with God, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 3, is talk no more so very proudly. Let no, absolute no arrogance come out of your mouth. Now, I don't know about you, but those of us that are real emotional and very soulish and involved, we, we want to speak what's going on. I, I need to describe this. How many, you know, when the Lord told me I couldn't say any more bad words, I'm saying, well, how am I supposed to talk? Because everything I say is a bad word. That's how I describe life. Life, you know. And so we need to get in this regard that nothing will come into existence until first we perceive it in the spirit and speak it in the direction of God's pleasure. And so the very first things that Hannah will advise, this is a woman who had no favor from God for a long time. And when she finally got her breakthrough, it was on the basis of the way, the attitude of the words being spoken. Now, um, if you are a motor mouth, if you speak before you think, I want to tell you something. God weighs every utterance of your mouth. Just everything that comes out of your mouth becomes your reality. And God's not going to sidestep that. That's why he says there's power of life and death in the tongue. Let no more proud words come out of our mouth. Bite your tongue. And, and this is the way to do it. Lord, I don't see what you have promised. I, I don't feel what you have promised. But you're a faithful God. And I'm going to stand and confess what I know about your character. 
Because as Wellington was talking about this, he says everything begins in a realm of revelation. Uh, Revelation, things to be revealed in the spirit world, uh, the promises of God, the creation of God. He says, let us make man. And that existence in the spiritual world later became a reality as he forms man out of the dust of the earth and blows into him, he became a living soul, a living being. So Wellington was trying to teach us and to share his heart that, that we're to press into the spiritual things because they become realities. And I said, man, we're in trouble because we live so much on the natural realm and are always speaking and thinking outside of God's thoughts, outside of God's ways, and and that expression of pride limits us from ever experiencing what God has. So revelation is that, he says, uh, the people who press into revelation in the spirit realm of where God dwells will know God, and these people who know God will see great exploits. They will see their lives becoming what God has promised. And if you don't know what God has promised, you're confessing the opposite thing. You'll never get to see God's greatness and his glory. So Daniel 11.32 says to us, the people that know their God, those who do wickedly against the covenant, he shall corrupt with flattery. But the people who know God They're strengthened, not in the circumstances, not in the situations, in the realm where God is king of kings and the God of glory and he's omnipotent and powerful. And so those that dwell in that place shall be strong and carry out great exploits, do big things for God. For faith is the substance that allows you to participate with the supernatural. If you're walking in fear, you won't walk on water. You won't go in the direction where God will sustain you and prosper you and make you fruitful. And so we need to tap into that. And that's what, that's what Jesus is telling them right there in the first book. I mean, he, he did not save in chapter 1. He's not saving the good for last. He's giving them all the goods up front when he tells them, stay there and wait. Wait for this that you've heard of. And I'm going to tell you again, I will be hard-pressed before I hear that God has something for me that I'm not going to receive. I'm not going to sit there and know that God has a Proverbs 31 woman for me, a wife, and sit there and say, well, I'm just going to take off with a dingbat. No. I'm going to, if God is speaking his promises to me, I'm waiting on him because he's not a liar. God is a faithful God. And so in that realm, he's saying, the things that you've heard me speak, these things are the things you're waiting for me. You have heard from me, and you've heard from John the Baptist that the Spirit is coming. In verse 6, it says, therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, verse 6 really bothers me. Verse 6 really bothers me because... Just like John, uh, uh, Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he's trying to figure God out on an earthly realm. And whenever 
we are trying to, it says there, they, they had come together, they asked him saying, Lord, when will you restore the kingdom to Israel? How many understand that these guys are in a natural plane? They're not connected with God. And a lot of times our concern is not on God's timetable. So the questions that they're asking him in that regards have no play. Um, I gather it would be the same as a child that goes to school and he's there to learn. And the first question is, when do we have recess? You're, you're, on a, you're, you're, you're out to lunch, literally, right? We're, we, we wanna, we're not connected with God and what he wants. So, so the best thing to do is to be quiet, which is another, another scenario. I, whenever I don't understand anything, it's time to mums the word. I'm, I'm, I'm going to sit there and say, okay, Lord, this is way too big for me to put. You know what you're doing. And so instead of asking God about things you know not, and, and concerning, see, because when you're, when, when you're in a place and don't know what's going on and you're asking the questions, you're directing the conversation. So the best thing to do is to say, Lord, you know, lead me, teach me, let, let, let me see these things. And so my favorite verse for this, just so that you know, and it's, it's helpful for you to be a strong Christian, is Deuteronomy 29.29. This is very powerful. You should be writing it down in a notebook because you'll need to use it. The secret things belong to God. When you don't know anything, trust God. And then have a deal with God. Lord, if you make the obvious known, I'm going to respond to what you show me. So I always use this verse that says the secret things are in God's sovereign responsibility. I don't have to go on God's desk. How many want to go see his memos? How many want to cheat and go see God's agenda? No. He's an awesome God. He's a faithful God. I don't want anything to distract me from what he's revealing for me that I need to do now. And I'm not going to concern myself with the unknown. For those things belong in the sovereign will of God. Uh, one of those things for Wellington Boone that he talks about is being black. He says, I don't know why God allowed me to be black. That's his responsibility. I'm not even going to go there. That's, that's, God has a plan. And so I'm not going to reveal myself with the things that are on God's desk and his agenda. And I know a lot of people do, especially moms. How many, how many know moms? And they run up to Jesus and they say, hey, could you put my son on your left and the other one on your right? They were concerned about, they were consumed with themselves. So be careful, mom, that you're not meddling into God's business. Trust the Lord. And the things that he's not revealed that you're to do or not to do, trust that he's a perfect God. And now look at the second part of this verse, which says, but those things which are revealed belong to us. And these things we can pass down to our children forever, that we may do all that God is instructing us to do. Instead of being concerned about the things that are not, concern yourselves with the things that are. And make sure that you're doing what God has asked you to do and do it to the best of your ability because God does not require you to do it any greater than you have the ability to do it. The rest is him who does it in full measure. So along, to, along with what I just shared, uh, verse 7, Jesus tells him, 
It doesn't belong to you to know the times and seasons which your father in his own authority. God has business. I'm going to say this in Spanish. There is no greater falta de respeto than a guy who meddles in the affairs of sovereign God's faithfulness. And how dare we? How dare we meddle into the affairs that concern God? And, and we rather should not only trust God, but walk in the fear of knowing that, that he's a faithful God. And many people have decided to take it on their own, uh, their own cause to carry out the work that, that only an omnipotent God can. It's not, it is not for you to know. How many does that rub wrong when somebody tells you it's none of your business? You know it rubs wrong, but that's what God is telling them. Why are you pressing on into meddling in areas you weren't invited? That's not, that's not your territory. That's not, so we, as we hear God speak, as we hear his word, we try to line up with what he wants. That's the purpose of going through this tonight. Uh, we don't have extra time on our calendar, so we're using it up going through the book of Acts. How many, that would be pitiful. One of the verses that the Lord told me tonight in Malachi chapter 1, verse 10, he says, if you guys will not carry the excellence of my work in ministry, shut the front door. This is a powerful thing. This is, this is powerful. In other words, I'm going to say it this way so it comes down to a level that we could understand. If you're going to open up a burking, you better sell Whoppers. If you're going to get in the Big Mac business, you better have the best Big Macs in town. Because God doesn't want to open the doors of his temple and have a whole bunch of people dragging their feet in the affairs that concern representing his kingdom. And he says like this, who is there even among you who would shut the doors and, and uh, not kindle fire on my altar so somebody could go over there and, and throw a little, a little spark? Now, man, we're, we're doing kingdom business. And you guys know that there are not very many people that are invested in the kingdom to take it serious. People want to have a church to go to for two hours on Sunday just to fill in their schedule a little bit to soothe their conscience. But you won't find many people that are, uh, it says, so that you would not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, the Lord says. I will not accept the way you are serving me. Could we have another translation up there, uh, please? Just so you guys get it. Uh, put the NLT, the New Living Translation, so that it's in a, in a, uh, paraphrase context that God means serious business with how we serve him. He says, oh, that there was even one among you whose duty it was to minister to me who would shut the doors so that my altar would not be used for petty worship. That my name would not be denigrated to the apathy and mediocrity of your serving me. Because I don't want to let my, my work upon the earth be known as something unpleasurable. That you might not kindle fire on my altar for no purpose. 
for fruitless pretense. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept that type of worship from your hand. If you're not coming to the house of God to give him your best, he'd rather shut the front door. If you're not living for God, holy and, and passionately and fervently, then, then he'd rather, the, and um, that's been our concern for many years. I, I told the worship uh, team tonight, I said, if you guys will not bring the best to the altar of God, let's not bring leftovers. Let's not bring the lazy stuff. Well, I didn't have time to rehearse. I didn't have time to practice. I'm really tired. I've been working. I said, no, either the best or nothing. So that's when he's saying this. In verse 7, it's not for you to know. But then he does tell us what we are to know in verse 8. It was the last words that he spoke before being taken up. I think that this is like the last, uh, what we lawyers call uh, the last words spoken before somebody dies are the most important words. And Jesus says, you're not to know about the seasons and the times and the issues I have in secret, but you are to know that there is a power and a might through my Holy Spirit that will come upon you so that you can be my witnesses. And that word witnesses in the Greek is martyrs, that you have something to die for upon the earth. Because if you don't have something to die for on the earth, you have nothing worth living for. If you're not passionate about something, then your living is a bland living. And he says, you'll be my martyrs in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So you have, you have areas. I, I pray that you become efficient. Uh, you have mastery. You're able to, to work for the Lord in such an area that's good enough to ship out to export, and if what you're exporting is no good, then, then perfect, prepare. Have something at home base that you're willing to share with someone, and then he goes from Jerusalem to a little bit further out, Judea, and then a lot further out, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And, and we were discussing with the men last night, uh, my parents grew up in Pinar de Rio, a little town in Cuba, and they never concerned themselves with a little town a little bit outside of Pinar de Rio called Consolación del Sur. It's about 15, 20 minutes from Pinar de Rio. And I can't recall anybody in my family that says, you know something? We once did a food drive. We took the orphans. We, we went to visit the widows. We, we did a concert, a crusade in Consolación del Sur. We didn't do any of that stuff. Because it was all about me, myself, and I. We didn't think of other people. And so now we come to the kingdom of God, and Christ has us concerned about Hikilio, someplace out in Nicaragua. Fernanda just got back from her missionary trip. Uh, and she says, Pastor, the, 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 we, I see the grace of God there. I see God moving. What spring of life planted there is growing, it's fruitful. And so we're concerned about this little town in Nicaragua, and we're not Nicaraguan. We're concerned about Mexico. We're not Mexican. We're concerned about uh, Argentina, Ecuador, Peru. We're concerned about Canada. That's where Bob and Audrey are from. We're concerned about Switzerland and Spain and Germany and Scotland. Well, how did this happen? They invited us to go to South Africa in June, and they said, Pastor, 
we heard your message at Jack King's conference. I started five years ago, uh, the man said, with six men, and now there's 168 men. That's 168 families. And they said, we need your message. We need what you shared here in Texas to come to South Africa. And so you see how God is expanding our influence, our participation. And, and we're not introverted and, and, and looking just at our demise. Um, Wellington Boone says, I'm not going to die in front of a television set watching a football game. I refuse that my life would just go down to a lazy boy chair eating chips and watching football and dying. He says, no, that's not going to be him. Um, so this is what he says. You guys are going to be my witnesses. You're going to be the ones that are in the front lines. You guys will represent me when you get filled with the Holy Spirit. We will learn a lot more of the Holy Spirit as we read the book of Acts because it's truly the Holy Spirit that empowers them to do everything they do. And a, a person like Peter, who's denying the Lord, who's, who's not, uh, he's, he's, you know, he's scared. He stands up before 3,000 people filled with the Holy Spirit and he says, you crucified my Lord. And, and they said they were cut and he won them to the Lord. They all came to God. And he said, uh, once you receive this power, you're going to be my witnesses. This last thing Jesus says, verse 9 says, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from his sight like we just saw on this video. If there's anything that we should be experts about is heaven. I'll tell you what happened to a friend of mine last year. His son Caleb, at the age of 19 years old, who was a youth leader at his church, he hit a tree and died. Three o'clock in the morning, he's coming back from a retreat from a youth gathering. And his mom and dad were pastors, and they loved Jesus Christ passionately, and they, they're just so strong in the Lord. And Here's what they said. They said, we were pastors and didn't even know anything about heaven. So God had to take our son up there so that we look in the high places. And now they live for that day when they reunite with their son in heaven. And they wonder, what is my son doing up there? And what is the atmosphere of heaven? And what's the Bible say about heaven? And, and, and what are the measures of heaven? What's the description? And I, I remember when I first got saved, we used to sing a song that the streets are made out of gold and that there's a, a crystal sea that's transparent and that there's the throne of God and, and the descriptions of heaven. Um, as we press into this reality, I want to go home. I want to stick around here in Sweetwater and Hialeah. So let, let the heavens become such a passionate reality like Wayne Myers we saw a couple of months ago. He says, you guys better ask God to kill you so that you're there when I get to heaven because I'm going to show King David how to dance. So heaven becomes such a reality to those that, that know about it that, that earth fades away. It fades away. There's a transparent curtain just an opening and a closing of the eyes. Um, as our accountant is, is, Bob is getting older, he says, Joaquin, I'm just not what I used to be. I said, brother, if I were you, I would get super excited because to be absent in this world is to be present in that one. Amen. And so instead of having the devil drag you in depression, 
with respect to health issues and situations in this life, man, we are, we are pioneers. Uh, not pioneers. What is it called? Pilgrims. We're just coming through this thing. Uh, and when that becomes a reality, then you're able to let go and you're able to come into the, the fullness of God. Other people want to hang on down in this direction. Why? They have no clue what's up there. They have no clue what's up there. And verse 9 says, he said these things and was taken up right before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. I love 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. Um, they say these things. These things were witnessed. They were, they were seen by these people. Let's go to 1 John chapter 1. It says, that which was from the beginning, which we heard and our eyes have seen, the things we gazed upon and our hands have touched, this is what we're passing down. If it's not real to you, you have nothing to give. So get your hands really in there. Get your eyes, set your gaze, search these things out. Experience them, touch them, make them a reality so you're passing down goods. I tell people when they come, I say, you guys open your bags because I'm about to give you something more precious than gold and silver. And it's faith, and it's the Spirit of God, and it's wisdom. And people have zero. That's why when they are up against adversity, they have no faith. They walk in fear. When they're up against situations, they have no wisdom. They're making the wrong decisions, speaking the wrong words. If they came and gazed and touched and saturated, and these things are not in a physical realm. We already talked about it. These things are things that you, you place your whole life upon because they are an unshakable kingdom. They're not, they're not little stuff. They're not, they're not, they're not going to vanish with time. They get perfected with time. And so before their very eyes, the things they see, the things they touch, the things they heard, the things they participated. Let me ask you a question. Aren't you God's witness for this generation? What are you seeing? Oh, I see nothing goes right with me. You're not seeing through the eyes of the Spirit. All of heaven is fighting your battles. Well, what do you see? I don't see a cloud. Well, look again. Because God's going to cause it to rain and pour like he's promised. And so a lot of us are blind, naked, deaf, and dumb. Because we refuse to press in to the supernatural. In verse 10 it says, As they were intently looking up to the sky, angels appeared to them. And stood beside them. And so the Bible is talking to us about this realm where Jesus went into. And I love uh, John chapter 14 verse 1. He says, if these things were not so, I would have told you. But in my father's house, he's hooked us up. He has it settled. In my father's house, there's many dwelling places. If you belong to the family, that's what he's saying here. If you belong to the family, you got the inheritance. You got the goods. If it were not so, I wouldn't have told you. I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. I got this thing worked out. So I love the fact that, that the angels appear and give them the instructions. Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus. Could, could you say with me, same Jesus? Um, 2 Corinthians 14, 2 Corinthians 11, 14, I believe. 
It says, if somebody comes to you preaching another Jesus, don't listen to it. Don't listen to that false Jesus, that fake Jesus. I believe in a Jesus that does all things. He's supernatural. I, I, many times I say, Lord, you know something? Don't even take my advice as to what's going on. Do your thing. Do your thing. Get involved and, and blow it out of the park. If, 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 he's, if he's batting, if he's fourth batter, you don't have to give him any instructions. Just let him go to bat. Let him stand there and let him swing for you. And so there in 2 Corinthians 11, 4, it says, For if someone comes to you, preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preach to you. So some people's Jesus is a wimp. He's not involved, doesn't care. He's not, he's not extending his sovereign power and grace. And so that they, they have dwindled down a little puny Jesus, you know? No, no, that's not my Jesus. You better, you better get on the real thing. You better know who the real Jesus. This same Jesus who, who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. He's going to come back the same way. Verse 12, Acts chapter 1, verse 12, we're finishing. He says like this, The apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. And there it starts saying they went upstairs to a room where they were staying, and those present, verse 13, this is my favorite part here, the list of names of those that were present is right there. When we went to Israel about five years ago, there's the Holocaust Memorial. There were six million Jews that died during the Holocaust. The Jewish people have been taught to be so methodical that every name of the people who died in the Holocaust is at that memorial. They keep records of names of people. They wouldn't have skipped Paulette or Michelle or Erica. They wouldn't have skipped them. And so God is a personal God. He's not overlooking. If it would have been a Cuban or a Hispanic, they would have said all the Gonzalezes, all the Rodriguezes, all the, go you know, we do things by, we, we don't know a personal God. We don't know a God who has grabbed our tears in a bottle. We don't know a God who has counted the hair on our head. We don't know a God that, that listens to us when we sigh, when we go, <sighs> our God is that personal. He says there's nowhere we can go to hide from his spirit. The highest heaven, the lowest hell. God is there. There's a picture of the memorial. Listen to me. Six million names? What is the efficiency about this? The efficiency is that God is not going to forget one single person. There's no, he's not going to forget nobody. And it's there. there. There they are. The people who died in this war that was even, you know, just, just has no uh, relevance with regards to biblical uh, Knowledge or understanding, here these people are methodical. And I want you to know a methodical, meticulous, personal, specific God. He sees our prayers. He sees our hurts. He knows our wounds. And so there they're listed. Those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the Celot, and Judas, the son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, verse 14, along with the women 
and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter was still acting like Peter. How many say amen? Amen. Peter stood up and he says, I think we better pick number 12 here. Because God, listen to me. Number 12 was Paul. He, He went ahead and picked straws and cast lots. Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120. And Peter comes up with the great idea saying, let's pick number 12, verse 16. Brothers, the scriptures had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke a long time ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He betrayed the Lord. He was one of the number of, and shared in our ministry. The word ministry means service. He was serving with Christ. With the reward he got for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong and burst his body, committing suicide, spilling his guts, his intestines. And everyone in Jerusalem heard it. I don't know if the Jerusalem at that time had the Miami Herald or had the Jerusalem Herald. Everybody saw what Judas did. One of the followers died. So they called the field in their language Akeldama, which is the field of blood. Verse 20. So Peter says, it is written in the book of Psalms, may he his place which is deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was with us and among us. There was groups of people that were following the Lord, beginning from John the Baptist to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must be a witness with us of the resurrection. So they proposed two men, Joseph called Borsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. And then they prayed, Lord, you show, know, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over the apostolic ministry of Judas left to go where he belongs. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and so he was added to the 11 apostles. Um, as I woke up, um, as I woke up the day after the elections, I said, Lord, what's going on here with regards to this president being chosen? And the Lord says, I want to remind you what happened in chapter one of the book of Acts, that the men were choosing a leader, but I had chosen Paul. And Paul raises up as the apostle that God had and writes all of the New Testament. So when men think they're picking a leader, God has in his sovereign purpose the person he's gonna use uh, to change the world and to lead uh, the way we need to. We don't have to concern ourselves with those matters. Let's stand here this morning. And, and we know, I mean this afternoon, this evening, we know that, that God has these things figured out. Um, now remember that this is the start of what begins a journey through the book of Acts. And we're learning about God and we're growing in the things of God. I hope that it doesn't stay just in head knowledge for you. I hope tonight we could stand, ask the musicians to come forward. We can stand here tonight and say, Lord, make me humble. Give me humility that I might have grace so that I might see your glory. That's why the Lord is teaching us his ways. So that we might have peace. So that we might have joy. There's nothing more pathetic. Say it with me, pathetic. Comes from the word pathos, which means sick and abnormal. There's nothing more pathetic, abnormal, than a Christian without joy. 
When you have a Christian without joy, you know the devil has really spooked them. Because he's made the Christian think that there's somebody more powerful than God. So when circumstances rise up, we're not bothered by this situation. We press into God's presence. God, what are you saying? This is what I see. This is what I feel. But what are you saying? And what, what is going on in that realm? And God is going to cover you. He's your refuge. He's your strong place. He's your tower. He's your strength. And um, he has given, and I just want to share this last verse with you, just so that you know that there's already, this is not something that he's going to do and leave you hanging. For one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible is found in Romans chapter 8, um, where it talks to us about the fact that um, he has given us his son to prove that together with him, he's going to give us all things. And it's important that you might know this. Um, this is Romans 8.32. If he did not spare his own son, he didn't spare his own son, but gave him for us, how will he not also, along with his precious son, through grace, Give us all things.